Welcome to App Talk with Uptick, where we dig into the nitty gritty of how to grow mobile apps and games. We speak with industry experts about specific strategies, tools, and tactics they use to find success, and we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing mobile app ecosystem. My name is Xander Gosta, Director of Marketing here in Uptick, and joining me today are my co-host... Warren Woodward, co-founder of Uptick. And our guest... I'm Lauren Dignam. I'm the VP of Account Management at Santa Tower. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure yeah. to be here. Really, really excited. I think, um, you know, one of the topics everyone's thinking about as the year wraps up is reviewing what happened in 2021. And I think there's no one better positioned than Sensor Tower uh, as a data company to be the ones to talk about it with us. Yeah, it's exciting. I think uh, with the impact of COVID and, and kind of understanding how industries and in particular categories have bounded and rebounded, who has, who hasn't, it's a perfect time to kind of have a look at that um, and determine where everyone falls, where the chips are going to fall before the end of 2021. Absolutely. Very excited. One thing to plug for us up at the top, uh, I promised last week that we plug this every podcast between now and the time it happens. So get ready and go ahead and just register this now before, uh, before you get sick of hearing about it. But on January 27th, Uptick is hosting a Web3 and Future of Gaming webinar with a very, very star-studded lineup, um, including Sebastian Borget, COO of Sandbox, uh, which is the leading NFT project in the world right now, uh, Gabby Dizon, uh, co-founder of Yield Guild, uh, which is a, I don't know how to describe them, maybe like a pioneers of the metaverse would be maybe how they describe themselves. We also have Atif Khan, formerly of Facebook, um, who is now running operations at Stardust, which is a... Uh, basically blockchain infrastructure company for gaming, uh, Cedric Gamelin, uh, and CEO of Arrivant, which is uh, a Web3 game, as well as our very own Warren Woodward. So uh, please go register for that. It's going to be a really, really good panel on end of January. You can register at uptick.com slash webinars, or you can find the link in the show notes or blog article. Okay, let's get started. Our first section is Industry Insights, where we do a deep dive on mobile industry news. We're going to keep it relatively brief today because we have a huge, a very fatty and meaty midsection uh, <laughs> to, to go over with uh, Lauren. Um, but let's just get started. Warren, do you want to go first uh, and talk about yeah. the article? Yeah, so this is, uh, this, this is a nice follow-up to last week. We had uh, Mike Schmid from, from Rec Room join us, and then it was in the news this week uh, that Rec Room uh, just raised uh, 145 million at a 3.5 billion dollar valuation. So, uh, shame on Mike for not breaking the news on the Uptake podcast, the leading news source for the <laughs> industry. Now, um, no, but this uh, for a little details on this, we'll we'll link the article. But um, social gaming platform Rec Room has raised uh, yeah 145 million on that 3.5 billion valuation. The funding round comes just nine months after the company raised 100 million at a 1.25 billion valuation. And it's another sign of the prospects for user-generated content and the game investment boom. Users as creators is a big theme in the latest gaming boom, which has seen user-generated content platform Roblox go public and Overwolf raise 127.5 million in two rounds this year for PC gaming mods and helper apps. Um, yeah, and Rec Room launched as a free-to-play experience in 2016, and right now they have, uh, they've had 37 million lifetime users, um, and a little bit more data, uh, their monthly user count jumped nearly 450% since November 2020, uh, and mobile was really the leading platform for that growth, 
um, but they're also available on PC, VR headsets, um, iOS, Android, Xbox, PlayStation, Oculus, and Steam. Okay, That's so what do we places. think about this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, obviously, you know, we uh, have a lot of respect for for Rec Room. Um, we've we've known folks at the team for a while and respected them. Uh, they also have recently become an uh, uptick uh, client. Um, so full disclosure on that. Um, but but honestly, I think this was a super big brain move on this part on their part. Like they just raised and they they don't need this cash but they are at the perfect nexus to raise right now. Um, they're just at the intersection of a couple of different uh, hot uh, parts, parts of the market right now, which is obviously metaverse and then um, player-driven economies. Um, and they do both of these really well, even if kind of their take on them is um, somewhat non-traditional in some ways. Um, so I've also been seeing like how they've been using their last fundraise and the thing that has really stood out is they have just been bringing some of the best talent in the business. Um, a lot of people that some of us have actually worked with in the past and that we respect. So, you know, uh, Brian Sapp, uh, they brought him over uh, from Jam City to you know, lead on their, their performance marketing and, and overall marketing side. Uh, Mike Schmidt, who we you know, just referenced, um, a great uh, game designer I've worked with. Uh, Brandon Bozzi is over there as well. Um, so I see them using their money in sort of the best possible way, which is to get great people. They already have a great product. And I think that's just going to lead to more and more good talent going there, uh, and just bright things for them. So, uh, obviously like metaverse is a meme already at this point in the, in the year. Um, and, you know, we've talked at length about what is, what isn't a metaverse, but I think what the compelling thing about Rec Room right now is they have a, not, not just fully functionable, but. Uh, you know, great by a lot of accounts product um, with actual millions of users right now. And to me, this is a much more compelling value proposition um, than some of these like, you know, blockchain based quote unquote metaverses that are kind of just proof of concepts at this point. Because I believe personally, it's much easier to add a on-chain element or layer to a great product that has an active and engaged user base, then start with that tech and then you know, hope you can find a way to bring several million users into it and that they have a great experience. So that, that's You're not going to raise it. 200 million anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Xander, what, what, do, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I think I said to you earlier today or yesterday that um, I think Facebook did a really good job of uh, funding a bunch of their competitors. And I think this is another really, really good example. Change the name to Meta, all of a sudden, everyone is getting a lot of FOMO and just pouring hundreds of million dollars into all these products. So we'll see. Metaverse, I mean, you know, Rec Room is a, is a solid product. Uh, my question, I mean, I don't use it. It's not really my, my cut of tea, but I've, I've, I've tried it in the past. The thing that's hilarious to me is like Second Life did this 30 years ago and no one's talking about them. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good product. Is it the second coming of the Lord? I don't know, um, but I guess we'll see. Uh, Lauren, do you have any any thoughts here? Yeah, I concur, right? I concur with what you're both saying. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, it's it's the new and shiny, right? Well, the new and shiny, and it's about, it's really how it's perceived in the marketplace and how it's continued to be perceived. If they can continue that traction, Right. That's the biggest thing, right? Because there are so many, there's so many different, you know, so many different angles to go at this. So it'll be interesting to see how that all, how it all unfolds. Yeah, it's great yeah. marketing. I, I almost want to pre-book Lauren for a year from now again, just because there's so much stuff in this space that's either coming to market or scaling aggressively in the next year. And I think when we get to a year from now and look at the data 
and kind of see the winners and losers of 2022, it's going to look so different from this year is my, my best guess, but um, count me in, tower, count me yeah. in. I'll be here. All right. Be right. Yeah. Sensor tower will know where the bodies are buried. So yeah, we'll definitely have you guys back. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, let's just keep moving because we have a, a big main oh, yeah. section. Um, so this next article is one that's a little bit near and dear to our hearts. Um, so brain, the article is a little a blog post on consumeracquisition.com entitled, Brain Lab acquires social ads creative studio consumer acquisition. Uh, here's a little quote. Uh, digital marketing agency Brain Lab has acquired the global social advertising agency and creative studio consumer acquisition. Consumer acquisition will become Brain Lab's in-house creative studio for app marketing campaigns and manage mobile user acquisition services. So uh, this is relevant to us because it was by many indications one of our largest uh, direct competitors, although we do service slightly different segments uh, of the market overall, and we do take a, a fairly different tax, um, but you know, when we talk to lots of the industry will perceive us as that being a direct competitor, Warren can yell at me if he, yeah. he disagrees. No, I mean, we, we have a friendly relationship with them. Like it's, uh, I'd say, you know, friend, friendly competition, right? Sure, uh, yeah. Obviously they're involved in some of the same segments as, as Uptick. Yeah, so their best, Kanak is best known for the invention of the lock and key style creative, which is infam infamously sort of took the mobile industry by storm several years ago. Um, the key component of this is that they basically would demonstrate one game in the ad and then they would push you to a different game altogether when you actually install the game. Um, this was very effective for driving up IPMs and was copied broadly across the industry. However, uh, it, and th there's been some pretty aggressive backlash, uh, both from the European Union as well as some of the platforms basically saying, hey, you can't do this. Uh, this is not uh, acceptable marketing uh, practices. Um, so a couple of interesting questions. Uh, one thing I was trying to do a back of the envelope valuation for how much I think there's nothing about valuation in the company. And so I was doing the back of the envelope valuation just to sort of get some broad understanding of how, how much this company could be worth. Uh, their business is pretty easy to understand. It's basically a percentage of ad spend. So if you can figure out how much they're managing on a monthly basis, you can sort of back out a, a somewhat accurate valuation. Um, you know, if they're managing the ballpark of, let's call it, you know, 15 million per year, that means that the company would be rate be worth by my back of the envelope valuation, if, if here's the interesting part. So if they're, if they're um, be valued as a services company, basically an agency that puts them around a $50 million valuation, which is a lot of these, you know, if, if they're being acquired by an agency, it's possible that that's the way they're being valued if they're managing about 15 million a year. However- And to be to be clear, we're just modeling what if scenarios So We have yeah, no- We don't, we have no incentive information. Like super um, clear about that, yeah. You maybe Sensor Tower could give us some information. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing, though, is if they get a services multiple, uh, that valuation goes up by multiple times. So this, you know, this could be or a, a tech a tech multiplier, right? Sorry, a, a tech, tech multiplier. A tech multiplier. Yeah. You know, this could be yeah. six to ten. And in that case, this could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So again, no insider information. Um, but I'm curious, what you guys, uh, if you have any uh, hot takes about where you think that this could have potentially landed. Yeah, so I mean, I, I want to give all respect due to to Conac. I mean, they have become, I think, the brand name for mobile agencies and just like grown like clockwork over time, work with a lot of the biggest names in the space. Um, and also just as like, I, I think something to, to note about how they've evolved their business model, uh, some of the some of the tech that they've built in their, uh, especially in their kind of their first era was very focused around Facebook. So I think they made a very smart play by kind of doubling down on creative. Which you know, Xander talked about some of the you know the, there's certain styles of ads that that Conac is considered like a, a pioneer for. Some of those are controversial, but I think they've proven to be effective in many cases. Um, and uh, Conac kind of doubling down in the creative 
aspect of UA, I think is really wise because it decouples them from a dependency on Facebook or on any particular platform. So I think that's, that was a smart pivot in their recent years. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see. I, I don't think we've seen as much of this uh, consolidation of, of agencies buying uh, other agencies lately, but it seems like they work in, in complementary areas. So be interesting to see how this one pans out. Any hot takes, yeah. Lauren? No, nothing really. I, I'd like to kind of, as, as Warren's saying, kind of see how it pans out. Um, it's not something that I necessarily read up too much into, but it's definitely something that I think I'm going to do so moving forward. Um, it obviously impacts, if you look at consumer acquisitions, customer base, it's a, it's a large gaming contingency, right? So it obviously yep. impacts that, right? Um, it's just, an, a, I think it'll be, the valuation part is the interesting part for me is how do they, how do they see themselves, number one, and how's the market see them? Number two, because if you go from an agency to a service, which are two or a tech, or, you know, tech with that valuation, you start to look at very different numbers. So that should be an interesting thing. Yeah, and yeah. this is something I didn't know about, but they they do claim to have a proprietary analytics platform, which you know is a is a services or is a tech component. So it's a tech component, absolutely. Right. Yeah. How much of their it, revenue it, is being is being attributed to that versus the services? Is the question. Yeah. Yeah, and just to just to briefly talk on it, like it, it's a very interesting. There, in some ways, they're at a similar intersection to our our own business at, at Uptick because here we also, you know, ha almost half our team is is engineering and product, um, and we don't we don't talk about that side of the business as much. Uh, but that's that's sort of the underlying thing that has allowed us to scale the work that we do for the apps that we grow. Um, we're a relatively small team handling UA currently for, I think it's nine, nine studios and about a dozen, dozen apps at scale. Um, so there's this very blurred line of like, even for ourselves, we're always debating like, are, are we a, you know, primarily a tech company? Are we primarily a services company? Because we can't do one without the other. And it's sort of that cross-pollination for us, at least, of like people in the field using the tools, also working with engineering, building these, these SaaS tools for user acquisition for ASO. Um, but a lot of times when we've had outside parties look at us, they're like, I, I, I don't really get it. It seems like you guys are a services company, but you also, wh why do you have all these engineers if you're a services company? Anyway, I don't want to like to be too navel gazy here at like <laughs> our own situation, but I, I, all I'm getting at here is, is valuations like this can be very difficult to assess what is appropriate because there's a blurred line between technology and services in some of these companies in the space. Yeah. Well, yeah, if I you think... look at what is the latest, I mean, one of the latest IPOs in similar web being a tech company outright, right? I think they've got a 20x, uh, I think they've got 20x uh, valuation, right? So realistic or not, the reality is they did. Um, right. So right. it's, yeah. So even if you're, if you're going from a 5x to a 10x or a 15x, um, it can make a vast difference. Right. Yeah, for sure. It's reason itself to IPO. Okay. No, I think it was 17x. They were going for a 20x and it landed at 17. I'm just double checking. I'll, I'll take 17. <laughs> I'll take 17 any day. <laughs> cool. Right. I know we have so much to get into with Lauren today. Should we get to the main segment? Yeah. So uh, the main segment this uh, this week is 2021 year in review with Sensor Tower. Um, we're gonna, we have a bunch of pretty graphs and stuff, so we will be sharing um, the majority of the graphs that we talk about on, on the blog article as well. So I think it may be very helpful more so than usual when you listen to this article to go check out the blog. It's uptick.com backslash blog, and we'll pin this to the top, and you can see the graphs we are talking about as we talk through this. 
Um, Lauren, before we jump in, do you want to give us a little bit of context about your background so people understand who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I um, I currently have nearly a decade of experience in mobile web uh, market data insights and intelligence, right? What does that all mean? Really, I've been in the intelligence space for nearly a decade, working within mobile and, and web-based organizations. Um, data for me is the key to unlock every answer. Um, really, it has an organization, you know, back in the day, um, organizations used to the, 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 the spray and pray method, hoping that everything would work out, whereas now organizations are a lot more savvy around using data to make sure that they're making the right decisions. And I think that that's just the, the best way to go forward. And my role at Zinstar really primarily I focus as the VP of account management, I focus on bringing meaningful value added support to customers by building really long-term relationships. I know that all sounds very cheesy, but it's true when you work in a SaaS business, your, the lifetime value of your customer is your number one thing and that you care about. Um, and the biggest thing that we focus on from an account management perspective at Sensitar is our best-in-class service and support, which we are known for industry-wide. Um, so I've got a lot of I've got a lot of plates spinning, but ultimately that's me and my background. Awesome. I guess we should put a disclaimer here at the top. Uptick is a Sensor Tower customer. <laughs> Before we go any further. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any bad? Uh, only one good news. Good. Good support and service news on on this uh, on this podcast. Great. Cool. So we had a, uh, a number of questions that we brought to you. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen now. Um, we had a number of questions that we brought to you and asked the Sensor Tower team to take a look at what they could find in regard to these questions. Mm -hmm. um, I think the first one we talked about was in 2021, what categories of apps had significant growth? Do you want to sort of just take it from there and talk through the findings? Yeah. Found? So we've done we've done an over, overview really of uh, consumer spending growth, downloads growth. We've also looked at games, non-games, just to understand what the impacts have been pre, during sort of peak pandemic and then post pandemic. And then we've looked at categories and then genres within gaming to understand the differences, right? Because we understand that gaming and the rest of the categories in the app stores have always traditionally um, behave, the behavior has been quite different, right? right. Um, so the very first slide that I think you're looking at right now is the consumer spending growth um, during the pandemic. And what you're basically looking at here is that consumer spending in mobile apps approached around 34 billion in Q3 of 2021. That's up 15% year on year. And it's a 52% growth from 20, the same time period, so Q3 of 2019. So you've seen this 52% acceleration of spending in mobile apps pre-pandemic to now what is not necessarily post-pandemic, but not the peak of right. the pandemic, right? Um, so spending has accelerated. Right. We know and that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think we all we all expected to see that. I think one of the interesting things here is, you know, I guess the, the question is, the quantity is a really interesting piece here. Um, and then the next thing that we're going to sort of want to dig into is how, how much of this is, is sticking around for the long term. I guess, Warren, do you have right. any initial thoughts when you're looking at this? I mean, my first thought is like, this is going to be a much more engaging uh, podcast if we, if we can, you know, for anyone who can see the visuals for this. So we'll definitely try to get this one up, up on YouTube. But yeah, it's such, yeah. A, clear, it's such a clear trend line. Um, 
that uh, that Lauren is showing here of just like the the change in spending pattern patterns. Like when COVID hit, we can always see like the injection of the stimulus checks and people stuck at home in the trend line. Um, I, I I'm of the school of thought that uh, you know a large percentage of the trends we've adopted in the last you know two years now, geez, um, are not changing anytime soon. I think we'll see some whatever rebound effect, but um, I think you know we've established. The, the, there's been just sort of like a, a step change in what normal life is. Uh, and a lot of these patterns are going to continue. Um, so, yeah. Definitely, I, I guess. Yeah, Warren, it's definitely our assumption as well, right? But we have to wait for the data to tell us that. So the good Absolutely. news is that our assumptions based on consumer spend and behavior rarely on mobile doesn't seem to be making as a significant shift or shifting back down to pre-pandemic levels, which basically shows us that that mobile behavior has shifted, right? So if we yeah. go to the next, if we go to the next graph, you can see that yeah, downloads spiked significantly in 2020. We have seen a slight drop off in 2021, but this is still above pre-pandemic levels, right? So right. we're still looking at higher pandemic levels. Okay, so the the compound annual growth rate was eight and a half percent Q1 2017 through Q4 of 2019. It's now 12 and a half, 12 and a half percent between Q4 2019 and Q3 of 2021. So we're still seeing an increased compounded rate across the board. Um, and I think one thing that's also worth noting in the data, because we get asked this question a lot, and I want to make sure that everyone understands, is one, this is not including third-party Android. So this is global data for App Store and Google Play, but this is mm -hmm. not including third-party right. Android in China, okay? it's the first thing. And the second thing is we our downloads estimates are based on new installs. We right. don't look at reinstalls. So we don't, we don't estimate downloads with including reinstalls. So it just goes to show the impact of the pandemic has had on mobile adoption and behavior and why mobile is becoming increasingly important, not just for mobile first players, but also for brands, right? Great. And getting their names out there. And because the, the, the behavior has changed, the adoption rate has changed. You kind of want to capitalize while that behavior is still in the same sort of realms as the peak of the pandemic. Right. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, so just to describe the graph briefly, what we're seeing is basically a fairly linear uh, quarter over quarter increase up until Q4 2019, where you see a drastic spike and then a basically a drastic spike and then a little bit of a leveling, um, but a, a continued elevated trend over the, over the last couple of years. And I think the thing that you called out is that the overall, the compounding uh, the compounded rate of growth is still higher than it was pre-pandemic. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I, I think part part of what drives this trend too is there's a lot of um, net new players, uh, specifically in gaming, you know, which is what we're watching mm -hmm. a lot. Um, there's a lot of net new players just participating in the ecosystem um, that didn't have a compelling reason to jump into mobile gaming before, but the combination of you know limitation of other uh, extracurricular activities an extra income stuck at home leads to some people like having their first mobile gameplay experience, which is which is growing the ecosystem. Yeah, Great. and 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 if you go to the set, if you go to the next graph, you'll see the the split between gaming and non gaming, right, and the acceleration of growth. Now, 
Non-games well, have seen a faster growth revenue. Well, growth, can we first uh, describe growth. the graph? Do you mind yeah, yeah, trying to sure, describe so, the graph? Sure. So there's two graphs. You're looking first at the games graph, which basically shows you sort of really healthy growth in terms of revenue. And this is consumer spending quarter over quarter. Okay. I mean, for about 14% pre-pandemic yeah. levels, right? 14% so you're looking at around 14% pre-pandemic levels into uh, sort of pandemic levels and uh, to date, which would be looking at Q3 because obviously Q4 hasn't completed yet. Um, and you're looking at a growth from around 14% to about 20%. Which and we're looking back by any, yes, by any huge measurement. Jump when you consider the fact that the pre-pandemic level we're looking back to is 2018. Right. Okay. So we're not just taking into consideration 2019. It's very much an accelerated growth. Right. Um, However, non-games have seen faster growth. So the non-gaming growth, you can see their growth looking at around 32% to 42%. Um, Pre-pandemic 32 to post-pandemic 42. Well, not post-pandemic, but sort of current state. past that current state, yeah. Um, we have seen faster revenue growth for non-games, largely driven by growing popularity and subscriptions. Um, so the overall revenue share for gaming, mobile gaming has dropped overall from 77.6% from Q1 2019 to around 66.7% now. That's meaningful. Um, it's meaningful, really. It is meaningful. And I mean, this is largely driven by the growth of, of categories in streaming, the growth of categories in finance, the growth right. in categories health and fitness. Um, wellness has become a very big part of people's lives, especially pandemic. Especially you're sitting at home and all you got is your phone to try and keep Correct. you well. <laughs> oh, yeah. In every way. And that can be from a fitness perspective and from a mental health perspective. And there's a much larger emphasis on mental health these days. So mm. we've seen quite a significant growth in the health and fitness category, not just in the pandemic, but we're starting to see that the gains pre-pandemic. Um, so, you know, revenue growth has slowed uh, slightly um, in Q3. So game revenues up by 8%, non-games is up by 33%. But however, this is still quite impressive given yeah. that it is building on the jump seen earlier in the pandemic. So right. we're still seeing that lovely incline. There's, right. there's yeah. nothing that's showing, you know, too much of, oh, people have lost interest. This, this is definitely one of the more eye-opening slides and goes mm -hmm. against, I think, most uh, most assumptions and, and my personal assumptions. I never would have anticipated that non-gaming... Uh, growth, the, the pace of growth would have out, uh, outpaced gaming. So um, this is why having the actual data rather than just sort of like anecdotal uh, evidence from within your bubble is really important. Well, yeah. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a lower base, right? So these rates are, they make sense because they are starting at a lower sure. base where mobile gaming has been massive for so long. I think you said 70 something yeah. percent a second Correct. ago. Correct. You're going to see that at week you know, I think these predictions have been around for a while where non-gaming is, has, has has been predicted to grow a much faster than 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 gaming um, because you've got because you've got more of an adoption to mobile specifically around shopping like I said health and fitness all these sorts of categories yeah um, but yeah to see it is another thing and being able to see it in the data just validates that this is actually what's happening right makes a lot of sense forty two percent compound annual growth that is enviable. <laughs> and that is unbelievable is yeah. what that is yeah um 
And then in the next slide, we're looking now at app adoption and, and that jumped considerably. So we've got two graphs. Again, we're looking at gaming. We're looking at non-gaming. This is looking, you know, starting Q1 of 2018. Um, and we know that the downloads jumped at the start of the pandemic. That's not, I don't think that that's news to anyone. You can make that, anyone could have made that assumption quite easily. Um, yeah. While download growth has stalled, right? Now let's talk about, you know, sort of post peak into current, right? The overall growth at the start of the pandemic exceeds the pre-pandemic growth, okay? Right. So you're looking at, you're kind of seeing similar patterns for both games and non-gaming with sort of eight to 9% compound and annual growth rate pre-pandemic to around 12 to 13% since the start of the pandemic. So there's still, we're still seeing a, a healthy um, growth. We're still seeing um, above pre-pandemic levels um, when we're looking at adoption in particular. From down from down perspective, yeah. So I mean, yeah. these are basically basically both telling the same story. Well, I guess it's it's not quite the same story because we're seeing you saw a about equivalent increase in compounded annual growth from both gaming and non-gaming in terms of downloads. But mm -hmm. the distinction was in the revenue portion, right? So when we look at the Correct. revenue comparison, we're seeing you know, basically there's a much faster increase in revenue generated from non-gaming, the non-gaming segment when compared to the gaming segment, despite the fact that we are seeing a the growth of actual installs uh, being around the same. And again, that that also, that's not necessarily something that should be new or uh, should be surprising to anyone. Downloads growth have, and installs growth has not stalled, but has slowed in recent years, right? We've seen it, we've seen, you know, pre-pandemic has we have seen consistent growth, but nothing to nothing too drastic, right? right? Revenue will continue to be the driver for for um for these types of, for both gaming and non-gaming in terms of growth, because you're now looking at what was then very much um new markets that were, you know, that hadn't quite sort of got into the adoption of mobile quite yet. They're starting to mature. Um, as they mature, they get more spenders. As those, you know, as their spenders get into the app stores and start spending, you're going to see the revenue growth. So those those less um, mature markets like the Indias of the world and the Brazils and the Mexicos, et cetera, as they start to mature more and more and they start to adopt mobile and spend more, we're going to continue to see an increase in growth in revenue at the very least. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Makes yeah, yeah, I was just going to say, you know, Lawrence, like, remind me of a great point that is uh, an oversight I see in a lot of growth teams, which is they plan future growth, mostly based on what has worked for them in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the wins that, that the teams I've been part of have often found the largest or most outsized have been by identifying the next market or the market that's currently maturing. Um, because most people do just repeat their playbooks and their geos of their, their last launch. So if you, like, there was a couple of years where, um, like, India was a fantastic market to expand to because uh, like high, higher quality phones were getting more widely adopted. Um, but uh, there was a stereotype that uh, India traffic performs a certain way and those users you know, can monetize. So yeah, identifying like what these emerging markets are is like critical for um, kind of front running competition. 
Correct. And we'll talk a bit about India moving forward, right, as we go along. But the reality is, is that as these markets mature, and they will mature because they need to mature, right, it's just part of it. Um, the pandemic would have helped with some of that maturation and having been at home and, and not being able to do your shopping in a store, you now need to figure out how to get things online or pay for things via an app, right? So those markets will mature over time and your approach to those markets need to change. They absolutely need to change 100%. Yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. I, mean, I think it's also just a comfort thing is people just get more and more comfortable being on their phone all the time, which we're not seeing a decrease in screen time on the, on the phone. You're getting more and more comfortable doing more and more of your spending there, which I mean, absolutely. kind of just makes sense. Yeah, cool. absolutely. So the next graph I think that you've got up already, uh, Zana, is um, really looking at specific categories. Now we're going into categories and what we're looking at at this graph is categories pre, peak, and now pre-pandemic, peak pandemic, and now, and who has continued to maintain that market share, who's continued to grow that market share, who had a really great time during the pandemic and has struggled to, you know, continue, and then your typical, then I think the categories that no one's surprised by. So really- And this is non-gaming specific, is that correct? Yeah. This, this is, is not gaming specific. So we're looking at, uh, we're looking at non-games right now. So amongst the categories impacted most by the pandemic, uh, medical and business apps have kept the most growth into 2020, so 2021. So you can see business obviously saw an extraordinary peak in the Q, in Q2 of 2020, as did most of the apps within this graph. Obviously, caveat, there are, there are two that did not and three yeah. that did not. Travel, um, travel and, and navigation, unsurprisingly, trended under the group. Um, and business, yeah. I mean, it's really astronomical when you look at the graph. I mean, business, which is that include finance? Does that include uh, no, no. Business is we're looking we're looking solely at apps like you know utilities and business apps like Zoom, uh, like scanner apps. You're stuck at home. You can't you know conferencing calls, being uh, not having a printer, needing to scan documentation and send it. So we're talking specifically about those apps. That makes sense. Uh, we'll talk about finance in a, in a little bit, but um, I think. Health and, you know, education and health and fitness app installs have fallen from their early pandemic peak, but they still remain 30 to 40% above pre-pandemic levels. I mean, that's that's still impressive, right? So again, it shows that there is a portion of the population that have, have now adopted this new way of education, whether it be, this could be kids' education apps, right? We obviously don't track uh, children under the age of sure. 16, but ultimately we're looking at um, education apps that are installed on parents' devices. All this could also include, you know, language learning apps um, right. and obviously health and fitness. You know, I think a lot of this health and fitness piece is very much driven by mental health and mental right. health and well-being. Um, the, the one great one to see that has somewhat peaked since pre-pandemic or well, since pre-pandemic and has done a really good job of it and I think it's because it's human nature's sports category so yeah. during the pandemic nothing was happening but as things started to lift out you know the sports category um they fully recovered as leagues yeah. have returned in the second half of 2020. Lauren I'm curious for the two categories that had the most outsized gains um in on this chart you're sharing medical and business do you know offhand if it was sort of a rising tide lifting even the small in the small uh, apps in those categories, or if this was more a concentration around 
the market leaders? It's looking at the fact that this is global, it's taking into consideration big and small, right? So you would have seen a significant growth. And I think that that's probably something that I can, I'll, it's maybe something worthwhile sharing um, after this podcast, I can dive a little bit deeper into it. But I mean, this is driven by your, by your typicals, right? The Zooms of the world, et cetera. Um, A big cohort of scanning apps did extremely well during this time. Um, and the medical space, uh, very much driven by new players in the space, very specific right. to COVID. Okay, very this specific. Is, yeah, the medical graph is line is kind of interesting because basically it's the one that's actually showing accelerating growth in Q3 yes. of 2021. Do you know what yeah. that accounts for? Or what accounts uh, for that? I think it's very much, and I must double check this, but I think it's very much got to do with uh, COVID levels, right? Because as we're going into, you know, as we've done, lockdowns have eased, the growth rate has accelerated for obvious reasons, uh, specifically in the UK where I'm based, we have seen accelerated rates in terms of um, infections, but not necessarily the same in terms of hospitalizations or deaths. So it's very much driven by, uh, COVID specific apps, but it's also, we've also seen quite an exponential growth in blood pressure monitoring apps or blood sugar levels, um, uh, diabetes, et cetera, where uh, because you're in lockdown, you're unable to speak to um, a very specific, you know, you're unable right. to go and see a, a practitioner. You're, right. you're keeping track of your, your own health in at home, um, mm-hmm. which wasn't necessarily happening pre-pandemic right well, it right. makes and, a lot of sense and, that your comfort level with using an app for your health is adopting as you're using it for bottom of things sorry go ahead. right right, right. You know, i was just gonna yeah I, I think just a lot of people's doctor visits have have moved to being on app visits um you right. know I, I use i use kaiser which is a large provider in california and they they switched to that for the bulk of visits and you know and push you to the app so you can use the phone you know while you're on your visit and i think of a, a lot of other large providers or sorry so you can use the camera uh, but I think a lot of other providers have gone to similar uh, models. Yes, and they have. They definitely have. Um, that's for sure. I'm just real time, just having a quick look. <laughs> I'm not being successful in my quick look, but we no, can. Right, yeah. I, I can always jump back on that. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we're going to dive into finance a little more now, which I guess makes sense because we were asking about it a second yes. ago. Yes. So. Sort of other categories, including games, utility, shopping, have seen solid growth, but finance has been extraordinary. Okay. Right. We've seen huge growth. And this has largely been driven by the increased demand for cryptocurrency apps. Right. So just like um, quickly to give, like there's basically a, a, a padding of a grouping of lines you see in Q2 2022, or sorry, sorry, Q2 2020, you see a spike in yes. gaming. It comes down and normalizes mm-hmm. over the last couple of quarters. And then in Q4 2020, you see finance really take off. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And you can see the seasonality. So you can see uh, utilities has continued to grow. Utilities, again, falls very much in the same category as productivity or business apps. Usually in the app stores, if you have the opportunity to create a secondary category, if you're productivity, you're either picking business or utilities. If you're business, you're either picking productivity or utilities. So um, you can see that utilities has continued to climb. you know, starting and, and have remained very much stable throughout that type point. Naturally, you can see shopping has had spikes. So it had sort of great spike um, Q4 of 2019, naturally. 
seasonality helps, right? Um, and, and has remained sort of very well above that pre-pandemic level. But finance is a category that has seen extraordinary growth. And as I said, this is very much driven by crypto, by the increased demand for cryptocurrency apps. Um, some of the biggest players being Coinbase, Crypto.com, those guys have, have had really successful growth during the pandemic. Um, I think Crypto.com have just also partnered, I think it's Matt Damon, um, which has seen quite an extraordinary, um, we've seen some extraordinary growth for them. So game installs have remained at roughly 30% above pre-pandemic levels since Q3 of 2020. I mean, that's nothing to be scoffed at either. Um, it's those installs have remained pretty consistent. Right. It's just about, I think the story here again is about the growth of all these other non-gaming segments. We know gaming does well. It's just all these yes. other segments that are also growing progressively. I mean, if you just, you look at utilities, such an unassuming category pre-pandemic um, and for it to be tracking almost in line with gaming is, is pretty impressive in the last two, you know, sort of last two quarters is pretty impressive. Yeah. I think that the crypto app usage is mostly driven by Warren um, personally. <laughs> No, I was just going to oh, say the, the finance. The finance trend line looks exactly for those for the listeners. The finance trend line looks exactly like what you would expect it to look like. Which is I a mean, breakout. Over, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Over the COVID period, we watched all of society locked at home uh, all of a sudden become. It's I, I think of that meme. Um, uh, I'm somewhat of an investor myself. I think it's from uh, one of the. Is it from the when the Batman movies? Uh, this is a horrible, horrible pod. Um, anyway, yeah, we, we all became investors like early in lockdown. And then we all became crypto experts like later in lockdown as we wanted the harder stuff. Um, but this trend line like perfectly reflects that. Yeah. Bang on. Yeah. Cool. So now the moment everyone's been waiting for, uh, we're going to start talking about gaming. Yeah. <laughs> in case you didn't get enough of gaming on the Uptick podcast. <laughs> all right. So, uh, We've looked at worldwide consumer spend uh, market share by by game genre, okay? And we've looked at, and what you're looking at in this graph here is you're looking at 2019, 2020, and then Q1 to Q3 of 2021, okay? And we've looked at the top gaming genres in terms of the fastest growing by revenue, all right? right. And RPG remains a top genre by revenue. Um, Although its market share has slipped slightly, and you can see 2019 market share was 32%, 2020, 28.7%, 2021, Q1, Q1 to Q3, 27%. So the market share has slipped slightly, but um, it's still it's still the Massive. top. Yeah, it's still it's still conservable. It's, right. I mean, that, that's that's really interesting. Like, if you look at this graph, that is the number one uh, thing that you notice is is like a dominant trend is like the just the decrease as a uh, percentage of consumer spending the decrease uh, in the RPG category. Um, I'm curious if you know, Lauren, does this have to do with increase in growth in other segments and other gaming segments, or does this have to do with RPG losing uh, revenue as a category? Do you are you are you do you know? Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, right, uh, Zander, and I don't want to, I don't want to make any assumptions right. on that. We can definitely have a conversation about this, um, and I can ha happily come back to you guys on that. Sure. Um, what we do know is that Action has gained the most market share since 2019. Whether Action is taking up that market share from RPG, I, I'm, I'm not going to, uh, I can't speculate on that. Sure. Um, but 
the action genre has benefited hugely from the successful launch of uh, Jinshin Impact in, to, in September right. 2020, right? And it's just it, it just goes to show how a single launch can of a really successful game can really swing the genre. Um, uh, it's quite extraordinary. Yeah, the, the wealth in revenue in mobile is very much concentrated at the top. Um, and mm -hmm. yeah, to, to that point, as, as I was looking through the, the data we're sharing on this slide, uh, I was thinking of kind of the opposite, which is, you know, we, we had the, the kind of the last breaths of, uh, I think if I'm getting my timeline right, like Machine Zone and a lot of the companies that were making similar products, a lot of that wound down um, during 2019. And, and that, that, that subgenre of RPGs that used to drive a ton of spend is almost non-presence in the space uh, currently relative to what it used to be. And it could very well, Warren, you're 100% right, that could very well be driving down the market share in terms of by, by revenue for that genre, for sure. Yeah, interesting. Okay, we have another graph that um, describes something similar. Yeah, so now we're looking at... Uh, we're again, we're looking at worldwide download market share. So now we're, we're shifted from revenue to download market share. And we're looking right. at again, 2019, 2020, 2021. And we're just seeing really what is the accelerated growth of hyper casual. Okay. Um, it has gone from 20, nearly 28% 20 in 2019, 22%, uh, sorry, in 2019 to 26% in 2020 and borderline 31% in Q1 to Q3 of 2021, right? Yeah, this is this is really a dominant story of basically one category eating up all the download market share. One thing that's interesting, and I'm curious, just make sure I'm understanding this correctly, when we look to the previous trend around uh, revenue, hypercasual is bucketed with other in this graph, is that correct? Correct. So, you know, just because they are now the dominant driver of installs does not actually mean they're the dominant driver of oh you know. i think i know why that is actually so lauren correct me if i'm wrong um i don't believe uh i definitely don't want to speak here i don't i, I believe that sensor tower revenue data is based off of iap primarily right yes. not uh, ad revenue. yes okay correct. so since since you know almost all of hyper casuals revenue is ad revenue that would explain why they weren't uh represented in the previous graph which we should probably clarify as percentage of iap revenue Sure. Yeah. So uh, that's a very good point. Thanks for that, Warren. So again, just to reiterate, we only estimate revenue data based on in-app purchase revenue, right? Minus the 30% or the percentage that the app stores take. Okay. Um, we don't account for any ad revenue. But yeah, you can see in this graph, the hyper casual has continued to grow. And, and really, it's accounting for roughly 31% of installs for all genres which is huge that's an enormous enormous yeah i mean huge yeah and i know it's dangerous to apply narratives to to data um but the 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 story that, that pops into my head is is the dawn of um lion studios um and so many so many of you know with with lion studios really growing as an initiative from from app 11 um more and more frequently, like the games at the tops of top of the charts are are some of their titles. I mean, just copycats, um, right? I think there's like sort of a bloodbath right now for people <laughs> competing for the hyper casual yeah. space. The thing to note though is like the 
this is a different profile of user, right? Like someone who comes in and downloads a hyper casual app may very well use the app for two minutes and delete it. Whereas, you know, people who are dri being driven to some of these other apps that we saw generate the majority of revenue um, in the last graph right. uh, are long-term mm -hmm. multi-year users so the, right. at, the, at the top end, which you can't Installs, play, yeah. click, click whatever mm -hmm. game for two years. You just can't do it. It's like physically impossible. Yep, yep. <laughs> in, in free to play mobile, one universal truth is that installs do not equal revenue. That's very 100% true. 100% true. And going back to what you were saying about adding anecdotes to data, Warren, our data is obviously, it's estimated data, right? Um, but ultimately, if it helps you understand uh, directionally why a store, it, you know, it helps answer some questions to some to some answers, uh, will answer some, have some answers to some questions that you have, especially around significant shifts in the market, right? Significant shifts in a genre. So it's very well that your assumption or what you're playing towards the data is actually an impact that's there. Um, so don't feel don't feel too bad about doing that. I do that quite often. It's just about what you need to make sure. And it's and I thank you for pointing it out around the in-app purchase. You're always going to make sure that you're comparing apples with apples, right? And using our data coupled with some research and industry backing is always the best way to do it. Um, one thing I did want to mention is, is shooter, um, the shooter genres lost market share, right? And this was with the removal of Fortnite. So you can oh, see- Oh, that makes going, a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, that's with the removal of Fortnite. So you can see, again, that's, we know Fortnite's removal happened and we can start to see diminishing market share for installs specifically for the genre, which also just helps, um, you know, it, it also helps explain and has a narrative, right? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Um, it's again, I think it reiterates to the point where uh, a single app can have a pretty outsized impact. You know, we're losing Correct. you know one and a half percent of market yeah. share. I mean, it's obviously not all Fortnite, but that definitely uh, helps. Cool. I think the next thing we're going to talk about is uh, geo breakdowns, which I think are very, very interesting as well. Yeah. So what we're looking at here again is we're looking at a graph and we're looking at at consumer spend for the top countries app for the App Store and Google Play. Obviously, bear in mind that. Uh, this is not including any third-party Android for China, right? Um, and so, so what that means is that it's like it's very hamstrung, right? The China line here is not uh, accurate. <laughs> yeah, what you're looking at for here is iOS um, China. So third-party right. Google Play is not available on this data, right? So you're looking at this from yeah from that perspective. But ultimately, a number one country in terms of consumer spend. United States, right? So a huge spike in consumer spending in Q2 of 2020. You can Super see that's quite happening. Yeah. Um, sort of a level out until about Q4 and then of 2020 and then continued growth, right? Mm -hmm. The US consumer spend has not dropped since pre-pandemic levels. And it's the country surpassed 10 billion, um, a quarter for the first time in Q2 of 2021. Wow. Right. Yeah. And it's only going from strength to strength. Yeah. I mean, it's a great time to be in mobile, especially in the US. <laughs> Correct. Um, I mean, the consumer spending climbed 65% between Q3 of 2019 and Q3 of 2021. That's insane. 65%. It's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. But the UK hasn't fared too poorly either. They've climbed 64% between. Q3 of 2019 and Q3 of 2021, and Germany's at 60%, right? So these are all markets that are rarely, um, 
they're really benefiting from, and I know that sounds terrible, um, but they're really, they've taken advantage and, 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 and the consumers in these markets have adopted to mobile really strongly since uh, pre-pandemic levels. This, this is very interesting to see for me. The, the, the number that actually uh, jumps out to me in a logical way is, is the UK kind of outpacing the growth of other um, tier one geos. And part of this is, you know, I've, I've been launching games for quite a few years and almost universally for gaming, um, UK has underperformed from a ROAS perspective Correct. versus the other tier one territories. Doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, spending is outright or worse, but relative to the cost of inventory in the UK. And so seeing the monetization patterns start to catch up here a bit more um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, in fact, the UK in the past year, specifically the UK has been the fastest growing amongst the top, top, amongst the top countries. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Um, all right, let's keep on rolling. And this is now the, the market trends, but from a download perspective. So geo trend, but from a download perspective. Correct. So... What we're looking at here is uh, number one, India remains the top market by far for installs. It's okay. pretty wild. If you look at this graph, I mean, do you want to like describe the velocity of this growth? The growth really, if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at the growth between Q1 of 2020 to Q3, uh, Q3 of 2020, um, it's nearly double, right? Great. They almost doubled. Um, it's it's quite extraordinary. And, and everywhere else is not nearly nearly that level. Nowhere else is nowhere, that close. Nowhere is that is even that close, right? Um, and while decline, while we have seen downloads decline year over year from Q three of twenty twenty in Q three of twenty twenty one, they're still up nearly forty percent compared to pre pandemic levels. Right. That's extraordinary. And when we talk about markets maturing, India is one of those markets, right? Yeah. The other ones um, that are really so go ahead. Yes, carry on. No, no, carry on. Well, as you see, the other ones that are worth calling out here are Brazil and Indonesia, which are also showing really drastic growth, but just not at the same velocity as India. Correct. Right. Yeah. So um, definitely seeing the same, uh, you're seeing really great uh, growth for Brazil and Indonesia. Um, you obviously see download boosts for countries like the US and China, but those were temporary and those were very much over the pandemic peak of the pandemic, right? First lockdowns, et cetera. Um, obviously, US has seen modest growth, um, but yes, uh, the top markets have been, in terms of fastest growing since 2019, have been India, followed by Indonesia and Brazil. Yeah, makes ton of sense. Yeah, what jumps out at me on this is like how relatively flat the US uh, install trend line is, but it was not the case when we looked at spending, spending patterns. So what this right. is telling us is not necessarily that people are downloading more apps. It's just that they're engaging more with the apps that they have downloaded. I wish we could see like net retained usage across all the apps. Obviously, that's not a metric that could possibly exist, but I would imagine it's disgusting where just everyone's staring at their mm -hmm. phone all the time. We'd love to, love to see that. It's just very difficult to calculate. Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't think. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, so this last uh, piece around this sort of deep dive segment is around subscriptions and how they break out across categories. I'm going to talk a little bit about this. Yeah, so we, yeah, we, I, we wanted to bring you just, just bring a taste of sort of top grossing games that rely on subscri subscription models, right? Um, and obviously it, it speaks to 
some of the growth and hyper growth we've seen around some of the, 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 the genres, right, specifically, and why we're seeing a decline in some places, RPG being one of them. Um, and what this graph is looking at is, okay, so we're basically looking at games to reliance subscription models, specifically in-app subscriptions, right? Um, and we're looking at the top two and a half thousand games by revenue in 2021. So we're just looking at Q1 uh, to Q3 2021. And, and just to note that this excludes free games without in-app purchases and games that primar primarily monetize through ads. Okay, okay so it's like Apple's Atlas comparison. And then there's a whole other section of this down here, but yeah. I think these are the same, this is like an extension of the same graph, correct? Correct, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're basically looking at, so this graph that you're looking at really is, is what it's highlighting is that the shooter category, well, the shooter genre, shooter games rely on subscription models, right? So 77% of the genre has and does rely on in-app subscriptions. That surprised um, me a lot a, when I saw that. That's a large chunk, right? That's an ex that's exceptionally large chunk. And why yeah, did that surprise you? I, I mean, I don't work on a ton of shooters, so maybe it's just lack of knowledge of the space. But I think, um, I guess what this most likely uh, points to is battle passes, right? And how basically every shooter, like Pioneer by Fortnite and PUBG and all those guys, are, and also mod the Modern Warfare mobile game. I mean, I think, you know, battle they all lead on battle passes very heavy. And this is something that's being extended across many, many different categories as well. Um, so I think, I, mean, I expect to see more and more in-app subscriptions across more and more genres as you go forward. I mean, if you can get money from your highest value users, it's basically SaaS, right? I mean, of course you would want subscription revenue if you can, if you can get it. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and it just looks at the top four being shooter racing at 60, 68%, casino at 66%, and then sports at 55, um, followed by arcade lifestyle strategy, and then RPG at the bottom at 36. So around a third, just over a third of the games within the RPG category um, contain in-app subscriptions. Awesome. Cool. Well, so that sort of wraps our segment on the different graphs that we've uh, we've provided or provided for us. However, we do still mm -hmm. have a couple other topics that we can dig into. So yeah. cool. Uh, so the next the next big section that we wanted to talk about was what are marketing channels and platforms are taking more or less share of voice, and how has iOS fourteen point five impacted that? So in terms of what channels are taking more or less share of voice we need a little bit more data to be confident in the trend that we're seeing, right? right. With, uh, with the impacts of IDFA, we like to have at least five or six quarters worth of data in order to be really confident in being able to talk to those to those things, right? It's not to say that you couldn't do the analysis on your end, but if we're going to do it, we want to make sure that we're, uh, we're, again, comparing apples with apples. But what we can talk to, right, and what I'm happy to talk to is about what we're seeing in terms of the marketplace and obviously everyone understands well let's talk about idfa right so let's talk about right. iOS 14 so even before uh the ccpa and gdpr data regulation apple was able to focus their brand on user privacy which was able to leverage which they've been then able to leverage to implement the user idfa opt-out okay right the, i think the big story here is that this has allowed them to create a rapidly growing advertising on the disadvantages big ad tech companies like Facebook and Google, okay? Which we know that there is definitely gonna be an opportunity for Apple to, to disadvantage those organizations. Um, 
we've really seen it. What we're, yeah, we're seeing it, right? We're seeing it as it's happening. What we what we've seen as well is you're looking at anywhere. I mean, if we talk about iOS opt-out rates, you're looking at anything between 20 to 50%, depending on who's reporting it. So before iOS 14.5, you know, users before that will still be targeted as publishers and ad networks already have the user profiles on these users until the end of the device lifecycle. But users that upgrade, obviously we know to a new device um, that 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 opt out will not be able to be targeted right yeah, so, and, and just a thought here I'm, I'm guessing maybe that number of the opt-in rate of 20 to 50 percent perhaps that's a number for the year at on a whole because it was like a very specific right. trend line and just uh what, what we're seeing in the field Xander correct me if I'm wrong here but it, notably lower kind of across across all apps for the the actual opt-in rate yeah especially when you get to the, like the attribution ability because you know these apps in order to actually get accurate attribution you need double opt-in and so yes. you need basically from the publisher as well as the new install and so we're seeing you know much much lower rates than 20 to 50 percent uh often in the single single digit for right. self-attributing network channels uh, such yeah. as facebook and google um, another thing to call out is that facebook has called this out explicitly the impact of these changes explicitly in the earnings call and this is something that we've sort of covered at nauseum for <laughs> at uh at on, on the Eptic podcast mm. yeah so so with IDFA, we did see some ad shift spend to Android, right? We don't know mm -hmm. yet if it's impactful enough and if we're going to see that, if we're going to continue to see the same trend, and we'll definitely, we're going to be talking more and more about this um, into H1 of next year. Right. Um, but we did see some shift. Um, obviously, we also know that Google have now followed suit, right? With, with their, their announcement yeah. with the GAID, okay? Google Advertiser ID, right? Yes, yeah. so yeah. we're likely we'll likely see the same, probably a similar effect. I think the one caveat with with um, Google uh, AID is that one Google will not require users to affirmatively opt into the use of their JID uh, advertising for ad advertising purposes. Two, following the user opt out, they will not prohibit app developers from using other persistent device identifiers to target users' devices with ads. Right. As long as the app presents users with a privacy policy and handles user data in accordance with the Google Developer Distribution Agreement. So it's going to be maybe less strict, yeah. but we don't know until it happens, right? So we, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, Google has in the past been a little bit more relaxed, maybe if uh, relaxed is the wrong word. Maybe I think that's accurate. Okay. If you think about, if you think about um, the underlying businesses of uh, Google and Apple, and we, we again, we've, we've kind of beaten this topic to, to death in past podcasts, so we won't go too deep on this, but, mm -hmm. um, uh, advertising is fundamental to Google's overall business model. Um, it is not for Apple. So uh, it's just, there's a lot more incentive for uh, Google to provide a workable system for advertisers on, on Android because they're also selling a ton of ad inventory um, and, and Apple doesn't have this same incentive. Yeah. So, I mean, really what we're seeing and what we're hearing from the marketplace and what we think is going to potentially happen is so contextual non-user ID targeting will become more important, right? So high-styled IAP targeting becomes more important. Um, 
IP addresses may be anonymized as part of walled gardens push, but then you need to have um, you need to have a VPN in order to protect yourself from that, right? So we might see an explosion in VPNs. Um, I'd be surprised if the average consumer is cognizant enough to install install a VPN. I think, the, I guess this is my bold prediction. I don't think it's that bold. Is that we'll see basically an IDFA sort of light version with Google's implementation of stripping out the GAID. Uh, they're obviously an advertising company first. They have much more empathy for advertisers, and I think that you know they want to do what they can to make sure they're compliant and that they won't be regulated by the government. Um, but ultimately, they're an advertising business, and they want to enable advertisers to spend money effectively. Uh, so yeah. I think that's really what we expect so to see. So with contextual, yeah, with contextual targeting, obviously this allows advertisers to display relevant ad based on content rather than using data about the visitor, right? So what you're probably going to see is you're going to, and obviously this is not new. Newspapers and, and magazines have been doing this for decades, right? But what you're looking at here is keywords and topics. So keywords and topics become much more important in targeting an audience, which is very much SEO based. Okay. Right. Um, so it, it should be an interesting one. Um, what I can what I can say is that we're hearing more and more from our customers um, post IDFA that they're shifting to web and mobile web advertising. Right. They're putting more money um, in other digital channels. Um, because they can actually, CPA is so important to them, right? Cost per acquisition is such a huge target for most of the, uh, you know, for most of the directors or VPs of marketing. So for them, it just seems like that's the best way to go. Um, and with, obviously without the ability to target specific devices, we might start to see 360 contextual household-based advertising that targets all devices within a household. So it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah, well, it's very interesting. I think it's really, it really makes sense in the context for non-mobile gaming apps that this would be an initiative. I think if your core product is a mobile game, this is much more difficult to accomplish. I think Zoom or someone, it obviously makes a ton of sense to push people to a web page, um, but it, less so for people who are either predominantly mobile or mobile first. This, it's doable, but you're basically interjecting a major funnel step when you do that. And that's something that is uh, not necessarily, it's not ideal for most growth funnels. Yeah. And I mean, it comes to a degree, in comes iOS 15, right? Which is part of, you know, we wanted to talk about creative trends, but I think iOS 15 is a topic that's been dominated, especially around things like product page optimization one and then custom pages two, right? Um, and we know Google's been able to do, you've been able to do custom product pages or, and being able to do um, uh, uh, product page optimizations for a while. Um, but with these two things, you're now gonna you're now gonna be able to do a lot more in terms of A/B testing, um, and you're now going to be able to because the current what's the current with iOS? All traffic is landing on one page in each right. country. Right. Now you're gonna have thirty five different custom product pages per market, right? Right. Yeah, we right. we went from literally you what. A, a, decade of not being able to do even basic A-B testing on iOS to all of a sudden there's uh, potentially options to optimize, yeah, up to 35 different different funnels. So let's let's just jump forward. I think this is, you know, we are running a little over, so I think it makes sense to jump forward to this yeah. as our basically last so, primary topic. Um, and I think that is, what is the UA, uh, what are the, the creative trends we expect to see? Uh, what are the key creative trends from 2021? And what does that mean for creative going into 2022? Yeah. So again, creative trends, we're going to want a full year to be able to 
properly analyze these. But what we can say is that it's harder to track users outside of owned and operated ad inventory. So it's more scalable to own your own inventory. And one of the trends that we've seen, and obviously everyone's seen it, is the acquisition of ad networks. Yeah, the bloodbath right? of the last year. Ad colony to fiber, but you know, ad colony fiber acquired by Digital Turbine, MoPub acquired by AppLove and Chartboost acquired by Zynga, Vungle acquired by Liftoff, you know, the Vungle Liftoff merger. I mean, we're just seeing that it, it's more scalable to own your own inventory. So there's definitely- Yeah, if it really feels like most of the M&A in the space of the last decade happened in the last 12 months or so. And we covered that again extensively. I mean, that was basically all we talked yeah. about for the last year of the podcast. Yeah. So we won't, we won't go into that, right? But among yeah. the series of updates that come out of the role of iOS 15, there's two features that represent change for user acquisition marketing. And that's the product page optimization and custom pages, right? Yep. Custom product pages, right? Um, I think the biggest thing to take into consideration here is, is with custom page optimization, um, being able to A-B test um, in iOS, which you obviously mentioned, Warren, is not has not been an option. Um, but I think one of the biggest challenges, I mean, the impact here is that not every developer has the budget to use a third-party solution, right? Because if the they do, they should use Uptick. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> use Uptick. Um, we know that you need more, you need budget to send traffic to mobile pages, uh, to mobile web pages, right? And again, have developers had budget in the past to A-B test? Okay, so there are a couple of things. It kind of creates a level playing field, but I think for smaller uh, publishers or developers, I think the biggest thing is going to be resource. Yeah, it's def that's definitely true. I think, I mean, Warren, I'm sure you have a ton of thoughts here. I think this is obviously, obviously a really good thing. Um, we found, yes. we, I mean, we've already, already started using this tool ourselves, even though we have a competing tool. Um, but I think that being said, like, this isn't going to make ASO testing easier. I think ultimately, or AB testing, you know, ultimately this is going to further advantage people who have the resources and expertise to know how to do this sort of really well. I mean, Warren, mm -hmm. do, do you have thoughts about this? Yeah, yeah, a couple things. So yeah, we're, we're using this ourselves and, and, as you alluded to, Xander, the great thing about this is now for, for companies that are lightly resourced for ASO, they can at least do something. You can yep. at least split test your icon and your screenshots on, on iOS. It's, it's pretty limited. You can only test three things. And there's certain really important types of testing that there's just no way to do natively. Like one of the areas that um, we've had some of the biggest wins over the last year in our own testing for our clients with, with the Uptick ASO tool is uh, promo images on, on uh, iOS. Um, and it makes a lot of sense. It's the, not everyone implements it, but it is the foremost, the first thing you see and the largest th thing you see on the screen for those that do. It's like fantastic real estate and there's no native way to, to test that. Um, and we found it's been very helpful because you have to ask Apple to unlock that. It's been very helpful to have data on that and come to Apple with that data and say, here's why we're asking for this feature to be unlocked. Look, we ran this mm -hmm. test. It converts 15% better if we implement this. So it definitely falls short in a lot of areas. And um, there's other weird quirks. Like if you push a new build, uh, it ends your current test, whether that test is done or not. So that's another reason it can be helpful to have like a closed testing uh, environment. There's also one other uh, really, really great use case, uh, which I would love to see Apple launch this eventually, but we use it for pre-product testing. So if you have an idea for right. a game and want to do market testing or how you want to position the game that you're in development with, that's where the tools that we're, we've built are so really, really valuable. Um, and long-term, I mean, I think we're going to integrate the iOS 15 into our workflow one way or another. And 
see how much we can automate. And then obviously, obviously conscious of time here, but obviously the other big one, and and this is where uh, we feel that both paid and paid marketing, so paid UA teams and ASO teams need to work really closely together, right? And that is on the custom product pages. So Google's had this for some time. We know you only have five custom store listings right now on Google, and you're also allowed to do A-B testing on these, and these are tailored by country or install state. Um, Apple's gone a little bit crazy on the 35, which is fantastic. Um, You can create separate storefronts, you know, it's huge for performance marketing, right? Absolutely huge. You can tie creatives to an ad level and then direct them to a storefront page. Super, super impactful. Talking about product or keyword, talking about that sort of stuff that you can now, I mean, you know, streaming services, user clicks on a TV show in an ad and they're directed to the custom product page of the TV show is on that product page, right? Same with retail product in a creative, you go to the product landing page. Um, really, really clever. Again, ASO and paid marketing teams are going to have to work closely together on this. ASO team will have the knowledge of what has worked before and feed that into the 35 custom product pages if you're using those. Paid team know which uh, will know which paid ads work will work. Um, the pages need to be fluid, right? So um it's going to be an interesting one to see, and we're interested to see how this how this plays out. But it is very there. It's a big it's a big move for performance marketing. That's it makes sure. a lot of sense. Yeah, I totally totally agree. I think that it's a, it's going to be incredibly valuable it's, to be able to tie the top of funnel metrics from a paid advertising to a landing page all the way down to install and ROAS. However, I mean, what's exciting a, is what, also what's exciting is Apple will provide data on the conversion rate, the downloads, the impressions, retention data, revenue. Well, are they do they are they going to be providing revenue data? Because if they do provide revenue data, I think that really is what unlocks this. But the thing is, Apple uh, is apparently, previously... according to Apple, they said there will be. If that's if that's the case, then this becomes a usable solution in a way. Well, because Apple, like even on Apple Search, for instance, like they don't really have a way of tying back to revenue in an Apple Search. So if they're this is actually interesting because this is basically if that is true, and I, I actually did not know that. So if that's the case, this provides an interesting workaround for how you can do basically revenue attribution at a, I guess, whatever level you want, right? So you could, in theory, even have a standardized page, a standardized custom product page, but if it's reporting out revenue separately, you could use that to do like campaign measurement, which is, uh, I'm gonna have to do uh, some digging here because that, that's like a, a really serious implication if that's, if that's the case. Yeah, I, that's interesting I too. Get, there's there, there's also a more just, yeah, I was gonna say, there's also just the more basic use case of, um, you know, you might see if you have different value propositions or like we've worked with some companies in the finance space that have different products for different user segments. And you might see that product A converts really well, um, but you might see that your actual revenue from product B and, and positioning that up front actually is better from a revenue perspective. So yeah, if, if we can actually enable that, that's a huge win. Lauren, were you trying to say that's one other thing here? Guys. Cool. Yeah, that's it from my side. Awesome. No, that's great. I really, really appreciate all the deep dive. The graphs were really, really, really interesting. Gave us a lot of fodder for conversation. And then these other creative trends are also really, uh, will be very important and interesting to watch for the next year. Yes, it is not, it is not easy to cover the year that we just had (laughs) in one podcast. Like there's been so much change, crazy change in the industry on multiple fronts. So, uh, Lauren, you and your team did a very admirable, uh, and, uh, uh, brought a lot of value by putting this data together to share with our listeners today. I'm glad that it was useful. I really am. Thank you.
Awesome. Cool. Well, we'll wrap up and go to our last section, app of the week. Um, Warren, do you want to kick us off with your app this week? Okay, cool. So I'll kick us off. Um, so uh, my app this week is more aspirational in the sense that um, we've we've been super slammed this year at Uptake, probably more new game launches and app launches than we've ever had. And this has meant that I've spent less time playing games. So I like to identify at least one, one or two games I can go really deep on in Christmas break. Uh, and this this time I'm actually going to go deep on uh, an app in soft launch from one of our partners that we're launching next year. Um, that is a game that looks really great to me and I've only scratched the edges of. So the game's called Moose Woods. Uh, it's out in soft launch right now. Um, and the team behind this is called uh, Second Leap. It's a really small team. They're really awesome. It's kind of like three three main main dudes doing it. Um, one of the co-founders there is actually a Supercell co-founder. So really high pedigree to the team. Um, but what is Moose Woods? So it's a super chill, relaxing, um, kind of Animal Crossing kind of vibe. You are uh, building out an animal sanctuary. Um, and it's just, when you've had a stressful year, like uh, we and the team have had, it's a nice app from what I've experienced so far to just kind of like settle down by the fire, make some tea <laughs> and build out your animal sanctuary. Um, I'm in. So yeah, it's, it, I'm in. yeah. It's a really high polished product, uh, very non-competitive, uh, super chill vibes. Um, and uh, it's it's an app that this one of the ones I'm most excited to see what it does in the greater market next year. And so I'm looking forward to going really deep uh, with my quote unquote research on this one over holiday break. Yeah, if you want to get a hold of this one, you have to be can in Canada, New Zealand, or Australia. So sorry, every other market. <laughs> we have to wait for worldwide launch next year. Oh no, so I'm, I'm out then. We'll I'm let out. you know, we'll hit you up when, when it's available. Cool, Lauren, do you want to talk about your app this week? Yeah, so I, I I don't know if anyone's heard of it. It's a relatively small app, but it's a lifesaver for us. It's called What Three Words. Okay, uh, so What Three Words is an easy way to identify precise locations. Now, this is really important if you have a partner who goes left when you should go right. Okay. Uh, this is really important when you're standing in the middle of a shopping center and he's gone to take your daughter that side to get her something so that you can continue shopping, but then he cannot find you. It's a brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant application. So every square, 10, every uh, 10 foot square has been given a unique combination of three words. Okay. And you go on the app and you basically pinpoint where you are and it gives you a unique three words and you can send that to your friends, partners, whatever, um, and they can find exactly where you are. So there's never any ambiguity about the actual space that you're in. And this is actually, a, 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 my understanding is it's actually military grid. So one of the interesting things is that this also has an application for people who get lost or need to be found. So um, this app has actually saved several people's lives who have been caught stranded on the side of a mountain in a very in very cold weather where they are able to speak to emergency services and give them three words and a helicopter could find them That's um, wild. without any landmarks or any navigation around them so it's it's an extraordinary it's an extraordinary app i really enjoy using it simply just to help my husband find me wherever i am this is so freaking cool and um as a person who my brain i am it's both a strength and a curse like i have complete tunnel vision like i think intensely about exactly one thing at a time this means i get lost a lot like my wife is endlessly making fun of me for this so um i look forward to being the found party uh using what three words in in my own future 
Good one. So you could save Warren's life. You just might have to save Warren's life. <laughs> That's my goal, right? My goal is to save as many lives as I can. This is awesome. really cool, Lauren. And this was totally off my radar before. Thank you. For yeah, sharing. I had no idea, but I, I, it makes a lot of sense. Cool. Um, I'm also doing a game this week. My app this week is Rocket League Sideswipe. If you've, anyone has ever played Rocket League, it's basically soccer with cars. Um, and it was traditionally for... Um, Xbox 360, I believe it, but it's basically on every major platform. Sideswipe is their mobile version, and it's very, very surprisingly good. It basically, it does the, the, a very good job of what a lot of games fail to do, which is taking an experience designed for a console or PC and distilling it down to its essence and then redeveloping it on a mobile app. Um, and so Sideswipe has been able to do that. The game are, two, are in little two-minute chunks. Uh, very fun, very easy to play. Uh, highly recommend it for anyone looking for some time to kill over the holiday break. Cool. That's it for us this week. Uh, Lauren, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, where can they get or learn more about Sensor Tower? Where can they do sure. that? Uh, I'm sure we can share the slide just so that everyone can uh, can find us. But we, the best place to get in contact with us is uh, you can find us on sensortower.com. You can email us at sales at sensortower.com. Um, and we also have a, our Twitter handle is at sensortower. Awesome. Thanks, Lauren. Um, we will be taking off next week for the holidays, and we should be back the first week in January. Warren, do you want to take us out? I'd love to take us out, Xander. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great way to close out the year with you. Thank you to the Sensor Tower team, Sensor Tower team for putting together that great uh, deck of data to share with our listeners. So as always, the podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Uptick. And uh, here at Uptick, if you haven't heard it before, uh, we help uh, mobile app developers grow. We basically do full stack growth marketing, everything from developing and testing ASO Creative to managing the whole UA portfolio to doing data modeling for things like SK Ad Network and all the trickiness around uh, you know measuring your performance with all those new restrictions in a uh, sensible way. Um, so just think of us as like the marketing team sitting there next with you, uh, sitting there next to you, uh, trying to help you bring your app to market in a scalable and profitable way. Um, if that sounds interesting to you and you need help in that area, you can reach us uh, from our website. That's uptick.com, U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Awesome. And ready to start for a webinar. Talk soon. Bye.